It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby. I'm joined today by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well. And Scott Patsko. Scott, how are you? Doing good. Doing good. Okay, well, we're going to go on the clock. We haven't done this for a while. We used to do this a lot, uh, where we put some time on the clock, kind of uh, pardon the interruption style, and we talk about uh, a few topics. So that's what we're going to do today. I've got my clock here. Uh, if I'm able to show these guys on our Zoom call, they'll get to see it here as it's ticking down. We'll find out. But anyway, let's get to it. Topic number one, Miles Garrett. He is eligible for an extension. Uh, the Browns want to get an extension done here. So starting the clock now, Mary Kay, how likely is it, do you think, an extension gets done with Miles this offseason? Well, I know they will work hard and they have been working hard to make that happen. I know they would love to have it done by the time the season starts so that it doesn't spill over into the season. Uh, you know, if it does, it does. But ideally, I'm sure they would love to have it done by the end of July. That way, it's not a distraction for him. It's not a distraction for them. And we aren't asking about it all the time. So it's something that they, I think, would love to get done. And, uh, and I think they'll try very hard to do so. Yeah, this is the first in a long line, right? You know, we we got Baker coming up. You got Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward. You know, getting it done early, I think, is a good move. And I don't know, Miles seems like he's an easy guy to do business with, right? I don't, I don't see this being really tough negotiations. I know he's not the one doing them for himself, but it just seems to me that Miles Garrett is the kind of guy who would get this done quick, get it out of the way, and be able to focus on the season. Yeah, and, and Miles, I think, has always struck me as someone who kind of wants that long-term security, right? And then we'll sort of figure out after that what he wants to do. I mean, he's such a smart guy and a well-rounded guy. I, I've always wondered. It, it's hard for me to necessarily envision him playing football till he's 35 or 36 years old. Now, he might. He might prove me wrong and, and do that. But I think, you know, kind of getting that paycheck early, getting that guaranteed money early and that extension early – is probably something he would love to do to give him some freedom down the road. If he decides he wants to do something else, if he decides he wants another big contract, it kind of opens up all of that. Mary Kay, this is really advantageous for the Browns, though, to do it now because, uh, you know, there's some pass rushers. Every time a pass rusher re-signs, it changes the market. So I'm sure the Browns are sitting there thinking, let's get this thing done as soon as possible because I believe Joey Bosa is coming down the pipeline at some point. That's going to be a huge contract. These edge rushers always reset the market. It's a lot like the quarterback market. 
Yeah, they really do. And it would behoove the Browns to get it done early, which is also a reason why Miles might not want to get it done right away. And Bus Cook, his agent, will probably drive a very hard bargain. I agree with you, Scott, that if it were up to Miles, I think he would like to just have it be done and have it off of his plate. But his agent is going to do everything that he can, obviously, to maximize the value of that extension for Miles Garrett taking into account again, what is coming down the pike over the next couple of years. So I do think that, uh, uh, you know, that it's not going to be easy, but I think both sides will work very hard to try to get something done. And it, and it could be, I mean, it will be a blockbuster deal. Did I hear the timer go off there? No, no, that was a, that was a text message. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I got a minute 10, so no rush here. Okay. Well, well I was going to, that's good. Cause I was going to point out, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to me to see how the Browns approach this because in the analytics world, in the data-driven world, there is an argument that defensive backs are really more valuable than your edge rushers because their job involves more than your edge rusher does. Um, it's, not, it's not an overwhelming popular opinion, but you do hear a lot of these arguments that, you know, somebody like Denzel Ward might be a little more valuable to the team than Miles Garrett over the course of an entire season. So, again, you got two guys who, uh, in those positions who are going to be coming up for contract extensions here how the Browns approached Miles Garrett could tell us how they view that, that relationship between the cornerback and the, and the edge rusher. Yeah. And uh, these are expensive positions coming up. We know the quarterback is coming up. I can't wait for the, uh, the Nick Chubb debates that are going to be coming up. Uh, Scott, you mentioned him as, as on the horizon. He'll be eligible after this season. We'll get to talk about running back value and, and all of that stuff. But yeah, I'm sure the Browns want to get this miles thing done. Like you said, Mary Kay, then they don't have to talk about, they don't have to answer questions about it, talk about it. There's our timer right oh, there. there it is. <laughs> they don't have to talk about it, and uh, they can move on, just like we're about to move on to our next topic. So we got to hear for the first time, starting the clock now, four minutes, we got to hear for the first time from Quasi Adolfo Mensa. Uh, he's essentially your assistant GM, and uh, he was hired from the San Francisco 49ers to be Andrew Barry's right-hand man. Uh, we, we've got a decent idea now. We, we obviously knew Andrew Barry from his first time here and are getting to know him a little better now. We have an idea of how this front office is going to work. So our early impressions, without necessarily being around the team right now, without having, you know, getting to see these guys walk around during practice, all interact with people, stuff like that. Mary Kay, what are your early impressions of this front office and how they're going to operate? Well, I think they've made it perfectly clear that, that they are very, very big on the data, the research, the analytics, and all the information uh, that can help drive football decisions today. And it's pretty obvious now. I mean, these guys, you know, I've called them the Harvards, but, you know, you've got uh, some Harvards, you've got some Princetons, uh, and that, that's where Quasi's from. He played basketball there. And, uh, and, you know, and then you've got even your head coach is an Ivy Leaguer in Kevin Stefanski. So... Uh, it, it's a very super smart group. They're going to do everything that they can to get that edge in this like, very difficult game of football uh, to win. And, uh, and they're going to be very, very data driven. And he comes from the, he was the director of research for the San Francisco 49ers. We talked to him a little bit yesterday about his talent evaluation skills. And he says he's coming up the learning curve, but he knows that might not be his primary role early on. I mean, if you, want, if you want a front office that thinks outside the box that seems super organized and is going to consider every, every type of data they can get their hands on, then this is the front office for you. If you're, 
into football guys, maybe you're not so thrilled right now. Maybe you have skepticism about how well this is going to work. But, you know, they, they seem to be very focused. And, you know, they talked about alignment. They're definitely aligned. You know, everything they seem to do this offseason kind of falls in, into place with, with what they've done before. At every step seems to be uh, predetermined. And, and, you know, they haven't done anything yet that I would say is a concern. Um, as far as Quasi Adolfo Mensa, Great Jedi name. I think we should point that out <laughs> right now. Uh, Star Wars should certainly should certainly get on that. But yeah, I think you know if you want if you want uh, a front office that's going to try new things, and then this is your team. Well, and he even mentioned the uh, playing basketball at Princeton. You know that Princeton offense, and he mentioned how it was sort of a precursor to what the Houston Rockets do now. And of course, the Rockets and the NBA are you know on the forefront of that analytics revolution that is that has kind of swept the league there. Uh, so that, that's certainly been the the way he's gone about it. We don't know how he is. Like you mentioned, Mary Kay is a talent evaluator, but it's just clear going all the way back to when Paul DePodesta talked to us on January 14th. Uh, when we've heard from Andrew Barry, we, we've heard from uh, Adolfo Mensa here. Winning on the margins. That's what they're really trying to do. That's what they kind of keep pounding home. They, they want to win on the margins. They want to find these little edges, these little advantages and, and try and, sort of outsmart people a little bit and be ahead of the curve in, in some ways and, and do things a little more efficiently. Yeah, and you know what? It really, uh, it really makes you think about how did they think that John Dorsey, Elliot Wolf, <laughs> and Alonzo Highsmith were going to fit in with the chief strategy officer. Okay, now think about that title for a minute, okay? You have the chief strategy officer, you know, setting team policy, and he's all about analytics and numbers and data. And then you bring in a general manager and, uh, you know, and his top aides that are all traditional football guys. And it just was a mess from the very beginning. So you, you talked again about alignment, Scott, and now, now you can see uh, that, that they are all aligned under the heading of uh, a lot of research and a lot of data and a really good amount of traditional football too. Okay, on to our next topic now, putting four minutes on the clock. We're gonna talk about uh, that head coach who went to an Ivy League school, Kevin Stefanski. So we got to hear as well from Stefanski, which I believe this is the first time we've heard from him since the draft. Uh, so we got to hear from him and certainly quite a time to hear from him because obviously there's a lot swirling around right now with the offseason program and, and how they're handling that. Uh, of course, there's everything that's happened in, in the wake of George Floyd and the protests and, and how he's handling that with his football team. Uh, the, the column I wrote this week about it was, Based on what little evidence we've seen, Kevin Stefanski is passing that leadership test right now. Uh, Scott, I'm, I'm, when you look at Stefanski and how he's handled this offseason, kind of getting things thrown at him in his first year, uh, how do you think, what, what have we learned about his leadership style at this point? Uh, I think we've learned that he's prepared and that he doesn't seem to be caught off guard or stumbling his way through anything yet. Um, you know, that's why you hire a head coach. You, Yes, he ran an offense in Minnesota and, and called plays, but you hire a guy to be a leader of, of your team, and he's done nothing but, but show an ability to do that so far, which I'm sure make the Haslam's happy. Um, you know, you know that he succeeded with his offense, with the offense side of the ball. I think leadership maybe is where some of his successors didn't come off so well um, and how they dealt with things, but so far, um, 
and, and there's been plenty of things to deal with <laughs> so far this season. And we really haven't gotten much out of Odell or Baker as far as off-season fodder goes. Um, he's, he's done fine. I, 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 you know, I came away thinking that he's been prepared and known, he knows what he wants to say. You know, I, I think uh, one of the things that I like is that he is not just showing that he's not just telling them, but he's showing them. He is doing things himself uh, to say, look, this is how we're going to do it. And, uh, you know, one of those things was, you know, attending a peaceful protest. He didn't just tell the players, you know, get in the arena. He told them how they can get into the arena. Uh, so I think he's a good teacher. I think that's vitally important. He is giving them concrete examples. I think he has given them marching orders. Each player knows exactly what's expected of him this offseason. When Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, finally spoke to, to Kevin Stefanski, he knew what he was supposed to do this offseason in terms of probably his body fat, his weight, his workouts, his uh, moving in silence and all that kind of thing. So, I, you know, he really seems to be what they were looking for in terms of a leader of men. I know that's what Andrew Barry set out to get, and it looks like he achieved it so far. And again, going back to what Dee Podesta said when they first hired him, he talked so much about leadership being the biggest thing. When, when they kind of studied this stuff and when they talked to people, they talked about leadership. It's the most important thing to have in a head coach, and, and it looks different in, in everybody, but that's what they really wanted. And I kind of had to go back to when I went and visited his old, his old high school. Look, he was there 20 years ago, so that is what it is, but – they kept kind of hitting home. Everybody I talked to there, whether we were talking about Stefanski or just the school in general, I kept hearing about how the last two mayors from Philadelphia are from there. And, and just the leader, you know, the CEOs they've created and, uh, you know, the leaders that they've produced, right? And, and then that servant leadership, it's obviously a Jesuit school. So I kind of heard that pounded into my head over and over again. And you do see a little bit of that in Kevin Stefanski. You do see a little bit of that background and sort of how he's been approaching his team and, and how he leads these, leads these men as, as they're trying to kind of work through this offseason. Here we got about 20 seconds left here uh, from either of you. If you got anything on Kevin Stefanski's leadership style that stood out. I was say, this, this is the easy part, though. This is the offseason. Yes. The, the, true, the true tale of this will be how he deals with the actual season, with the ups and downs of that and the controversies and the drama that arises. Um, but so far, he, he's done good with, the other stuff that he should be able to do good with. Perfect timing there, Scott. You nailed it. You've got a good internal clock. All right. Uh, the last topic here, and Scott, you kind of have touched on this a couple times uh, here in this podcast, and we're going to talk through it a little bit. The offseason program, officially, no one is going to be, no players are going to be showing up in Berea uh, for workouts. There's no mini camp, anything like that. It was always kind of headed this way, but there was also always that glimmer of hope. Maybe you can get a few people here quarterback, maybe some rookies, something like that. It's not going to happen. So the next time the players will be in the facility will be at the end of July when training camp opens. Uh, Mary Kay, last year this was a big topic of conversation because of Odell Beckham. This time it's the entire team. What, what are they losing from not being able to get on the field? Well, I think the biggest thing is the fact that the coaches didn't get to really get to know their players as individuals in person. They did the best they could on Zoom. They built some team. They built some camaraderie with slam dunk contests and movie poster uh, challenges and things like that. And they you know, tried to get to know each other in terms of just like, you know, not talking football for a while, asking how the families were doing. But it's a lot different when you get those players out on the field and you see how they handle a situation, how they cover uh, someone coming, you know, coming out of the backfield, how they 
you know, how they handle adversity on the field, how a kicker even, you know, stands out there and, uh, you know, how he does in, in the uh, kicking competition. I mean, you just can't see how a guy reacts under pressure on Zoom. I mean, you're just not going to get that. So I think that's what they've lost. Uh, but they've been so methodical about installing the schemes and doing all of that, uh, that if everybody does their part, uh, I think once they come back for training camp, they should be ready to hit the ground running. I feel like this offseason has been one big study group, you know, and then the test is going to come at training camp. How well have these guys prepared on their own? You know, I know they have Zoom calls. Obviously, you're, you're interacting with the coaches, but um, that's when we're going to find out. I, you know, yeah, I know they get a lot done during OTAs, um, but, you know, maybe just having the Zoom calls and just everybody being able to participate it isn't like 2011 when you had uh, players and coaches not able to to communicate in the offseason. Now you you had that. So, I mean, I don't know. I never expected them to have any sort of offseason workouts anyways. I figured it would just go to the point where training camp is when things started. Now we just have to wonder when is training camp really going to start. Yeah, and, and the NFL sort of has had that calendar at its advantage, and they still do. Uh, they still don't have to do anything until the end of July, and then they're going to kind of continue to play this. I do wonder if there's an advantage here, though, not, not just for the Browns, but just as a from coaching in general, I know they had to wait like a week extra to start their program just because they had to get everything worked out with the NFL and the NFLPA. But these programs don't usually go until June 26th. I, I think this week, I was, I was trying to do the math, would have been minicamp week. And so usually after minicamp, the players kind of scatter and then the rookies will hang around and they'll finish their stuff. And, and I know we usually go to a camp and, and stuff like that with rookies, but you know, maybe there's an advantage here because the Browns are going to take this thing right into that final week. So maybe a little bit of extra classroom instruction will help. Yeah. And, you know, they might not go through the entire final week. They might not go all the way up till June 26th, which they can do. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I have a feeling that Kevin Stefanski will kind of dangle a little bit of a carrot out there for them. And if they work really hard this coming week, that maybe they just get together for a day or two in that final week. Of June 22nd. But another thing to remember about this offseason program is nobody rolled up on anybody's ankle. Nobody stepped on anybody's mm -hmm. foot. Nobody blew out uh, an ACL in minicamp. Uh, you know, nobody got banged up in, in this offseason program. So again, there's something to be said for, you know, letting your body heal. There are guys coming off surgeries like Odell and Jarvis and a few other, and uh, you know, they're all pretty healthy right now. And, and nobody, nobody uh, called out anybody else over their contract. Nobody uh, skipped workouts and created a storyline. You know, none of the yeah. drama that we would often get. You know, nobody showed up to OTAs out of shape. You know, so I think, you know, there's that side of it too. All right, we're going to take a quick break. I'll tell everybody about Football Insider. And then we're going to talk a little bit about something I wrote about today for our Football Insiders. Uh, that's coming up after this break. So now I'm going to tell you about Football Insider. What is it? It's a chance for you to interact in a different way with all of our Browns writers at Cleveland.com. Mary Kay, Scott, uh, me, we will text you throughout the day with news, analysis, what we're thinking about the Browns. We also have a newsletter that gets texted out, and it's got something that we write that either doesn't appear on Cleveland.com or you get it before it appears on Cleveland.com, before anybody else gets to see it. Uh, we also hold special events as well, like we did a Baker Mayfield show 
Last week, we we did a draft Zoom call, special events for our football insiders that they can ask us questions and, and participate in. It's a lot of fun. And you also can text us back, and we'll text you back directly. It cuts through the clutter of social media. So how do you get involved? Go to cleveland.com slash browse. There's a box on the right side of the page. If you click on that, you'll get more information about Football Insider. There's a 14-day free trial, and it's $3.99 per month after the trial. You can cancel with one text, but I don't think you'll want to do that. We've seen this thing grow over the last year. It's been fun to watch. Or if you want to just text us to sign up, 216-208-3965. So to start that 14-day free trial with a text, 216-208-3965. Now back to the show. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kate Cabot and Scott Patsko. We're going to talk about the NFL preseason. Four minutes here on the clock for our final topic. The NFL and NFLPA have discussed maybe reducing the preseason this year to two games, allow teams to kind of ramp up a little bit more before they have to get on the field. We're going to take it a little bit further. What would you change? You get to be commissioner for a day, and you've decided that you're going to take care of the preseason because we're tired of sitting in those press boxes four games in August watching these preseason games grind through. What are you changing about the preseason? Mary Kay? You know, I, I would go two games. I would, I would reduce it on a regular basis to two games. This will be a little test case if they go ahead and actually do this. It's under consideration. And I think that's what I would do. I think I would uh, make sure that you can get a couple of guys out there, see what you can see. You might have them play a little longer than they normally would in the preseason because you're only going to have two games to do it. Uh, see how Jedrick Wills is handling moving over to left tackle. See how uh, the linebackers are shaking out when the fur is flying. Uh, but for the most part, you don't need four games. That last four game, nobody plays in it anyways. And, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of the, you know, the final 40 guys or 30 guys on the roster trying to fight for a roster spot. So you've got to be creative in figuring that out. But two is all you need. I would also reduce it to two games. I would keep an extra week, though, in between that second game and the start of the season to make sure people are healthy. So really it's a three-week uh, period. But two games, definitely. You don't need more than two games. As someone, I mean, we've all sat through those games. We, no one needs to watch them. I would also make the preseason games free. The NFL's got plenty of money. They can afford to have two free preseason games. You have to disperse tickets in some way to make sure that, you know, you aren't getting a general admission mob at the gate. But free preseason games and only two of them. Those are the two things I would do. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'd put them someplace – you know, I guess there's the argument to make that it's sort of a run through for the, the stadium personnel when, when you're there. But, you know, maybe have a game at Infocision Stadium or at, at Dick Stadium or one of these smaller facilities that can handle, you know, they have what you need because they're college programs, but, um, you know, they can handle it. I would embrace joint practices more. I, I would take these games, and I know players kind of bristle at joint practices, but maybe if there were less preseason games, they wouldn't mind them as much. And then you have a scrimmage maybe at the end of the week that you open up to fans. Maybe it's more of a walkthrough type scrimmage where you're not tackling guys. You can set up scenarios. Like I know practice for us gets boring when we watch it for a month during training camp, but I think for fans to get an opportunity to show up and watch a little bit more of a practice setting where you can game the system a little bit and say, Hey, we're going to do red zone for this long and we're going to do goal line. And you know, it's a little more of a festival atmosphere than it is a four 15 minute quarters. I think I would look into maybe doing something like that. So maybe a joint practice for a couple days, 
and then you have some kind of scrimmage somewhere where everybody can come and watch and um you know it's just a little more controlled and you can make it a little more entertaining but one thing i would definitely do no overtime in the preseason and let's just play like 10 minute quarters quarter <laughs> than a high school game let's just go 10 minute quarters just make it make it nice and quick yeah, and you know what? Those we are in in disagreement on those joint practices. I <laughs> okay. hate joint practices, and maybe it's because I I don't enjoy covering them. But it just seems like, you know, guys fight. It seems to me like that should be collectively bargained. I mean, it it really is like you are playing another football game or a couple other football games, and I I I can't believe that they agree to do that. The players hate them because you know, you really have to gear up to go against another football team in practice. So they don't like him. It just seems like you saw what the, the Colts practices were like. Those were disasters. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Joint practices are one of those things that it's got to be the right two teams, right? Everybody's got to be on the same page and, and willing to take care of each other, which as we saw in Indianapolis last year, at least one half of the equation was not uh, not as disciplined as they needed to be which is why we were talking about Kevin Stefanski in part here in, in, in this podcast. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast here on a Monday. Make sure you're subscribed everywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, leave us good ratings and reviews and subscribe to Football Insider. Text that number that I told you about earlier. Head to cleveland.com slash browns. For Scott and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.